Hey guys, welcome to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. This week, Matt Tinsky teaches on John 8, verses 31 through 47, where Jesus teaches about the devil. Matt talks about three things Jesus wants us to learn from this passage. That the devil is real, the devil's goal is to murder and destroy, and his strategy is to lie. We look at how these things affect our lives and how we have to fight to believe Jesus' truth over the devil's lies. We hope you enjoy this message. All right, guys, welcome and grab a seat. To kick tonight off, Logan, you've inspired me, bro. Let me right there. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Sheesh. Yes. Sheesh. Now listen. <laughs> Respectfully. Now listen. I had, already been, I had already planned to come out tonight wearing sunglasses before I saw the Vipers, the pits, man. And it's cool, man. Whoever's they are, I'm just, I saw you in them, all right? Chill, man. Thank you. Okay. Uh, and the reason is, you may be wondering, dude, why? Why, why are you wearing sunglasses inside uh, where there is no sun? And I, I'm throwing, I, I'm starting tonight off, I'm throwing back to a movie that was made in 1988. Most of you guys are like, dude, I was barely born in 2008, man. Like, what, what are you talking about? And I've ran this reference by a number of people tonight, and no one except one person remembers this movie or even knows what it is, but it is a movie called They Live. Has anyone ever heard of a 1988 movie called They Live? Awesome. Who? One person? Really, Rivers? Really? Okay, cool, man. Really? <laughs> <laughs> All right, as I start talking about it, you might be like, no, that's not it. That's not it. But, well, maybe. Let's just see. Let's test the waters, okay? All right, so, so here's this dude right here. This, is, this guy's name is Duke. Anyone familiar with the video game franchise Duke Nukem? A few of you guys. Okay, those who play video games a little bit. That franchise is based off this movie. By the way, if you're unfamiliar with this movie or storyline, I think, I think they're about to make a modern-day version with none other than John Cena playing Duke. So you're about to be reintroduced to They Live, all right? So hold it on this slide for a second. So this guy's name is Duke. Uh, let, me, let me just give you the storyline real quick. Duke lives in a world. He's going about his life. He's a pretty normal guy, like kind of rough around the edges dude, pretty normal. He's got a sick mullet. You can't really see it in that scene, but it's a nice flow. Shout out to my man, Eben, who just chopped all his off. But what's up, my man? Um, Duke is a normal guy, and one day he receives these, like, magical sunglasses. I don't know any other word for them except magical. He receives these sunglasses. You can see him holding them there, and they're iconic, man. Like, every video game made after this movie, he's always wearing these sunglasses, and you can see his expression. How would you guys label this? Bewilderment? Shocked? Baffled? Perplexed? Vexed? Who knows? He's, he's all of the above. So here's what happens in the movie. He receives these sunglasses and he puts them on and, and don't slide to the next slide yet, I'll cue it, but his whole world goes into black and white. Like everything he sees is all of a sudden black and white and he gets super confused and he takes them off and he puts them back on and he takes them off. And not only that, but everything that exists, magazines, newspapers, some of you guys are like, people have those, had those? Yes, they did. Uh, newspapers, money, dollar bills, billboards in the city, TV, everything, everything that exists, when he puts the sunglasses on, all of a sudden, they're all different. And he sees like this alternate reality. 
And he's so like baffled by this. He thinks he's going crazy. And, and so this scene, like he's, if we watch the movie, like he literally stands there and does this like a dozen times. Like he can't, he can't like believe what he's seeing. He keeps looking at everything. And so the storyline of They Live is essentially that these aliens have come and invaded Earth. But they didn't do it, they didn't do it like, they didn't attack, they didn't lay waste to everything. They've done it uh, very subtly. They, they've done it right under the noses of everybody. No one is aware of, of the invasion, but aliens run the entire planet. And aliens are positioned at like the top leadership around the world and news reporters and journalists and writers for magazines. And like, in essence, the whole world is being manipulated by these beings, these aliens, and every bit of information that people receive has been tweaked. It's, it's deceit. They're basically trickling in their agenda. And so whenever he puts on the glasses, like all the newspapers, all the books in the store, everything he sees he sees the message behind the face value. So let's slide to the next slide. So this is, this is like what he sees. So he puts on the glasses and the billboards transform. Everything's black and white. And all of a sudden he just sees these messages, obey, conform, consume, yield, stay asleep, work, 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 don't ask questions, buy, watch television. And if you look really, really closely, you can see in the crowd, like there's these weird looking people. They've got like zombie faces with like really shiny eyes. There's a few of them in there. Some of you guys are like, where's Waldo, right? They're kind of creepy looking. I think one's at this table right here in the bottom right. There's a, there's a few others. So those are, those are the aliens. And so every time he puts on his glasses, he sees the world that the aliens have created. And their agenda, their goal, some of you guys are like, I don't see the aliens, they have very shiny eyes. They look weird, all right? Right here, bottom left, kind of at that table, is one. So every time he puts the glasses on, he sees these, these beings. And when he takes them off, they look like normal people. They look regular. You would never know. But not everybody is an alien. And so they, they've done this thing where they've invaded Earth, and they've got all this subliminal messaging, and there's this whole undertone of this agenda they have, and they're manipulating and, de and deceiving and coercing people right in their face, like right under their nose, and no one knows except Duke because he's got, ow, I poked my eye. <laughs> he's got the magic glasses. He's got a new lens. He, he sees the world differently than everyone else, and he tries to get one of his friends to see. Like he realizes, dude, we've got to wage war on these aliens. I mean, classic 1980s movie, man. Just like, all right, let's, let's just go you know, destroy them all. And so he tries to get his friend to see and his friend doesn't want to see and they have this huge fight and he finally forces the glasses on his friend and his friend like wakes up to the reality of it. He's like, oh my gosh. And so they figure out that on top of the news station, there is a satellite and that satellite is broadcasting a signal that is basically like allowing the aliens to look like normal people and disguising all this. And they realize if we destroy that satellite, then everyone else will be able to see what we see and they'll be able to see the world behind the world, so to speak. Kind of an interesting movie plot, right? And so, what's up, Tommy? What's up, my man? So tonight, tonight's kind of a, a different night. Tonight's an interesting night. So, so for the next few weeks, we've got a United Night coming up. We're off for Memorial Day. We got a guest speaker coming up in a couple weeks, Hannah Tom. Sheesh! 
I think I just ruined a surprise. My bad, dog. Uh, happy birthday this Thursday, though. Everyone be sure to text bomb her. And so really, it left us with like two weeks of, of teaching. And I was like, I'm not going to start a whole new series. So we're just going to kind of do some like one-off ones, just like for funsies. And I thought, man, what would be, what would be like really fun tonight? And I thought to myself, what if we just, what if we just went to some places? Like when I talk to students, if we're talking about anything, somehow or another, most conversations, whether it's like one-on-one counseling or in groups or whatever, somehow questions start to arise about spiritual warfare, about demons, about Satan, about like the realm behind the realm, so to speak, the realm that we do not see. And there's questions, and students are always curious, and they're always like, dude, can we, can we just talk about, like, what is it, man? Like, do, do demon possessions exist? Are there exorcisms? Like, is what we see in Hollywood real? Can we talk about this stuff? And I'm like, dude, why not tonight? We got a couple of weeks, just kind of wonky weeks, standing alone. Let's go there tonight. It's not a series, but if tonight had a title, if we were in a series, tonight's message title would be Rethink the Devil, all right? That's tonight's title, Rethink the Devil. Some of you guys are like, yes, I love talking about this. And others of you guys are like, oh, I'm going to have nightmares tonight. No, 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 that's not the goal. That's not the goal. But I do want to take a look at scripture as we rethink the devil. And the invitation for the night is I want to invite you to put on the lenses of the gospel, the lenses of scripture, the lenses of Jesus, so that as we see the world in front of us, we would begin to re-see or retrain our eyes to another world that actually exists behind the world. That we would start to see maybe the spiritual realm a little bit more clearly and what Jesus has to say about it tonight. So John chapter 8 is where we're going to be. Verse 31 is where we're going to start. A little bit of context. Jesus has started his public ministry. He is at odds with the religious leaders of his day. If you're in the room tonight and you're like, dude, I'm just not sure about religion. I'm not sure about the church and and all the way it works. I want you to be encouraged tonight. Jesus had some bones to pick with religion and religious leaders as well. He understands that it's not all good, and and we're certainly not naive enough to think that that the entire church, every church ever, is good and has good leaders and, and, and so on and so forth. Unfortunately, religion is often a magnet for morally corrupted people, and Jesus has some bones to pick Uh, with these leaders who claim to know God and represent God and yet are incredibly wicked. And so Jesus starts his public ministry and these religious leaders begin to uh, despise him. They want to capture him and murder him, starting in John chapter 5. And now we're in John chapter 8. And so they've had this kind of beef grilling up over the past three chapters or so. And Jesus is teaching in John chapter 8. He's doing Miracles, the works of God and the words of God, and people are coming to believe in him, and the religious leaders are losing control, rapidly losing control, and they don't like it. They don't like Jesus. And so we're going to look at this conversation between Jesus and these religious leaders. Verse 31, John chapter 8. So Jesus says, uh, I'm just going to read through this whole passage, and then we're going to kind of break it down after, all right? Jesus says to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You've probably heard that phrase once or twice in your life. Everybody throughout history, from philosophers to Hollywood, has ripped that phrase from Jesus. He's the OG of this phrase, the truth will set you free. And they take it out of context. So what does Jesus mean by that? Everyone who's a, who abides in my word 
You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you'll become free? So these religious leaders kind of pipe up. They interrupt. Jesus is talking to the people who believed in him, and and then the religious leaders come in and say, Wait a minute, you just said if we believe in you, we'll know the truth, and the truth will set us free. And they say, But we've never been enslaved. What are you talking about? We don't need freedom which is an incredibly um, untrue version of their history. Like, if you've read the Old Testament, even at a a flyby, they've been enslaved many times, the Jewish people have. The whole book of Exodus is about their enslavement under an evil king named Pharaoh and how God delivered them through the wilderness. They were enslaved seven times alone in the book of Judges. They've been enslaved by Babylon and Assyria and Syria all throughout the Old Testament. Like, and right now, they're not <clears throat> enslaved to Rome, but they are oppressed and ruled by Rome. You could argue that, that maybe they are captors to Rome. I mean, so, so they're looking at them, they're like, we don't need freedom. We've never been enslaved. It's like, bro, do you know your history? Yes, you have. <clears throat> How is it that you say you'll become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So Jesus kind of makes it clear right off the bat. He's like, look, you're thinking earthly terms. I'm talking spiritual terms. The new lens, the deeper realm, the world behind the world. You're thinking here and now. You're you're thinking like physical chains to an oppressive ruler. I'm talking about spiritual chains to sin and death itself. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. A slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. And so if the son, Jesus, sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Jesus says, I know that you're offspring of Abraham. I know that you are Jewish men talking to me and that Abraham was in your genealogy. At some point, you descended from him. God made a covenant with Abraham back in Genesis. So Jesus is like, I know that you're descendants of Abraham, but you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. Dude, Jesus is, Jesus is tough sometimes, man. Like Jesus, like we like to think about Jesus like the lamb on his shoulder, right? Like, like that's how, oh, I got a lamb backstage. But Jesus is like, you want to kill me because you don't want my words to rest in you. Like Jesus is at odds with these religious leaders. He's a man of conflict oftentimes in his ministry as well as peace. He says, I know that you're descendants of Abraham, but you want to kill me because my words don't find place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, referring to God the Father, and you do what you have heard from your father, which begs the question, who is their father that Jesus is talking about? <laughs> Thank you. Who is their father that Jesus is talking about? Does he know their earthly fathers or is he talking about someone else? They responded, verse 39, Abraham is our father. So they're still thinking Jewish lineage. Abraham is our father, Jesus said to, him, said to them. If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who's told you the truth that I've heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're doing the works your father did. Again, begging the question, who does Jesus consider 
these religious leaders, the greatest thinkers of the day, those who claim to know God and represent God through their piousness and holiness and religiosity, who does Jesus think their father is? You are doing the works of your father. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Hmm. It's our father. Now listen, if you have the ears to hear it, what they're saying to Jesus is incredibly offensive right here because they know who Jesus is. They know he's from Nazareth. They know he's the son of a carpenter. He's 33 years old. A little before that, it hasn't been that long since his birth. They have not forgotten the story of how Jesus came into the world. Do you guys remember? His mom was a teenage girl who got pregnant before her wedding. Even though she was a virgin, she, she said this is through the power of God, this is a miracle. Even though that's true, the rumors still spread that Jesus' mom was promiscuous, that Jesus' mom got around, that Jesus' mom got pregnant before she got married. Those rumors spread. They know Jesus' lineage. This phrase that they use with Jesus, when he says, Abraham's not your father, and they say, well, we were not born of sexual immorality, you can put in parentheses there, like you were. They're, they're referencing his birth. In other words, they're saying to him, well, we're not bastards like you are. That would be a pretty accurate translation there. We weren't born without a rightful dad like you are, Jesus. That's kind of what they're saying. And then they make the claim, we have a father, even God is our father. I mean... For real, like, sheesh. You know what I mean? Like, yikes! How does Jesus respond? Man, so graciously, so patiently. Because that's, that's, a, that's a jab right there. It's a jab at his mom. You don't talk about people's moms, man. Can you imagine making a yo mama joke to Jesus? I mean, dude, like, <laughs> smite! Like, you're done, man. Jesus said, verse 42, he says to them, they claim that God is their father. He says to them, if God were your father, you'd love me because I came from God and I'm here. I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. And then he finally answers the question, who is their father? You are of your father, the devil. Now listen, yikes. Okay, jab for jab there. Can you imagine, like, can, dude, could you imagine being in an argument, like, with your parents or something? Like, JJ, maybe, yeah. <laughs> your sweet mom, Tiffany, she's coming to you, and she's like, JJ, I've asked you three times to clean your room, man. How come you can't obey? Why don't you listen to me? And you look at her and you say, you are a daughter of the devil, mom. <laughs> Get off my back. Yeah, dude, you're toast, bro. I, I, I wouldn't even perform your funeral. Like, I'd be like, no, I don't know that man. I've never, I've never tried to disciple that man. He's not of me. No, no, no. Or could you imagine being in an argument with your boo, like your boyfriend, your girlfriend, you're on the phone, you're like in the car, like, 
Why don't you understand? I've told you why. Why do you have to make me feel judged? I can't believe that you're such a son of the Satan himself. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think this is working out <laughs> between us. Jesus says, you are of your father, the devil. I mean, that is like, yo, that is a pointed delivery that Jesus is trying to rebuke them. They're claiming our father is God. They're claiming our lineage is all the way back to Abraham. We know God. We've been with God. We've never been oppressed. And Jesus is like, you're slaves to sin. Your father is Satan. What are you talking about? If you were from God, you would love me. You would accept me because I'm from God, but you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. Bless you. He was a murderer from the beginning. And remember, they want to murder Jesus. We see this starting in John chapter 5. They sought to capture him and murder him. Satan was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, or in other words there, he speaks his native tongue. He is fluent in lie. He speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and, a f- and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever, whoever is of God hears the words of God, and the reason why you don't hear them is because you are not of God. So, yikes. Jesus, again, there's a lot of things wrong with religion, today included. And and I want you to know, if you're in here and you're like a skeptic about religion and faith, I want you to know Jesus desires a better system of people to represent him as well. These religious leaders who claimed to know and yet were so wicked, who misrepresented the very heart of God. So Jesus is talking to these religious leaders. But again, tonight, remember I said it's about the devil. Well, believe it or not, this is Jesus' most in-depth teaching about the devil. Like, Jesus doesn't pause very long to talk about him or to really give a, a, a full perspective on him. There, there's little things here and there, and we see Jesus casting demons out of people and exercising his authority in the spiritual realm. Like, we, we see those narratives in the scriptures, but he doesn't really pause and talk about, like, oh, so you want to learn about Satan? Let's talk. Like, this is the most in-depth kind of pause that Jesus has about Satan. And so I want to look tonight about like, what does Jesus want us to learn about the devil from this teaching? I I have three things I think Jesus wants us to learn. And the first is that the devil is real. Jesus believes that the devil is real. Why is this a big deal? Because I think sometimes in our culture, the devil can kind of become like folklore-ish. He can kind of move into the category of like the chupacabra, you know what I mean? Yeti, the lizard man of South Carolina, Sasquatch, those type of things. But for Jesus, he's not in that category. The devil is a very real being. And, and we tend to think uh, of the devil kind of like, I don't know, some like weird impish creature, like dressed in red, maybe has a red cape, some horns, a tail, and a pitchfork. Like that's how we tend to think about Satan. But that's not how Jesus portrays Satan. Uh, true story, when I was in kindergarten, uh, kindergarten, that was my Halloween costume. Like straight up. My brother was Robin Hood and I was Satan. And like now that I am a dad, 
and I have kids and my oldest is, is going into kindergarten next year, I can't imagine a world that he comes up to me and he's like, you know who I want to go trick-or-treating as this year? Lucifer. Like, I just can't. Like, I don't know what, I don't know if it was my idea or if my parents thought it'd be cute, but I, I have pictures of me chilling with Peter Pan dressed as Satan himself. And I had the red cape, the, the horns and the pitchfork and all that. That's how we tend to think about him. Kind of like the Halloween costume come to life, but that's not how Jesus thinks about him. For Jesus, he is real. He's a real being. And so let's do a quick overview. Uh, This is kind of a a very quick, non-exhaustive overview of who Satan is. This is what Peter says, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Peter says this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour Many of us somehow in our minds got it planted in there that Satan right now is sitting on some kind of throne in hell, ruling the hellish realm and all the demons down there. He's not. Satan is on earth. Hell is a place of uh, punishment for him, a place of of final destination for him. He has no authority there. He's not sitting on his throne, ruling hell, communicating with his demons to do his bidding on earth. No, Satan is on earth, roaming the earth like a lion looking for someone to devour. Satan at one time was an angel, rebelled against God, and was thrown out of heaven onto earth. He's not in hell. He's not ruling on some throne from hell. He's not God's counterpart. He's not God's equal, just evil. He's an incredibly lesser being. But he's roaming the earth right now looking for someone to devour. Uh, The scriptures actually don't ever name him, which a lot of scholars believe to be some kind of like jab, like we're not even going to name him. So what you have in the scriptures are titles. Satan is not a name, it's a title. Devil is not a name, it's a title. And so uh, devil means uh, a slanderer or accuser, like he is the one who slanders us or accuses us, shames us, guilts us. But it's not his name It's not his actual name. Three times in Jesus' teaching in the Gospels, Jesus mentions him as the ruler of this world. Uh, Not not in terms of like, oh, Satan is more powerful than God. He rules this world. No, 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 no. But in other words, like the people of this world uh, look to him as the authority. They may not know they do, but those with the right lens see that he is the ruler of this world. Three times in the teaching of Jesus, he calls him the ruler of this world. That word ruler means kind of like the highest position possible in a government uh, system. And so, in other words, Jesus is saying he has incredible power and incredible influence in this world. He's not some dinky dude with horns and hooves and and a pitchfork. He's the ruler. He has power. He has authority in this world. He roams the earth looking for someone to devour. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Paul says, In their case, the God of this world, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of people who don't believe in Jesus to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus, who is the image of God. So Paul says literally, Satan is preventing people from being able to see Jesus because he's blinded them. That's why the teaching of Jesus, the truth of Jesus, is a new lens which enables us to see for the first time. So, Satan is, is, is not this Halloween costume. He's a very real being. Jesus believes he's real, and we should as well. Does that mean you should be terrified and have nightmares? No, because Jesus also teaches a lot about his own power. For Jesus, Satan is, is nothing but someone to squash, like someone to step on. 
He's not more powerful than Jesus. And Jesus says, if I'm in you, he cannot overcome you. So therefore, he's not more powerful than the presence of the Spirit in God's people. So the first thing Jesus believes is that the devil is real. The second thing that I think Jesus teaches here is the devil's goal. He's real, and his goal is murder. In other words, destruction. As he's talking to the religious leaders here in this passage, he says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he doesn't stand in truth. The devil is a murderer. His agenda is destruction. Just a few chapters later in John chapter 10, Jesus would elaborate on this and say, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That is his agenda. His whole mission is to disrupt what God is doing on this earth. He already knows he's lost. It's not like he thinks he's actually going to win. He knows his outcome. He knows that Jesus is the victor at a future date. He thought maybe he had won at the cross and then the tomb was empty. He knows he's defeated and he, has, he is doing everything possible in the meantime to disturb, disrupt, thwart what God wants to do on this earth. God's beautiful creation, God's redemption process, bringing people to a saving relationship with Jesus. Satan is disrupting that. He is creating destruction. That is his goal. That is his um, agenda. What does Paul say in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12? That, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil, the powers of this dark world. There is a world behind the world that we do not see. Satan is at work. The third thing I think Jesus wants us to know about Satan from this passage is his strategy is to lie. Now this is very interesting. Because if Satan is real, like if, we were, if we're going to take Jesus at his word and Satan is real, he's a real being, he's very powerful, he's the ruler of this world, he's the God of this world that people follow, he has influence, he has power. If he is real and his agenda is destruction and murder and chaos and, and messing up what God is trying to do and prevent people from coming to know God, then what is his number one strategy? Lying. But that's not typically how we think about spiritual warfare, is it? Like that kind of falls flat. It's like, uh, oh, lying? Like that's how, he, that's how he's going about it? He lies? It doesn't seem that menacing, does it? Like typically when we think about spiritual warfare, if you've heard that term, it's a very like southern church term, how we kind of describe what's going on in the realm, behind the realm. We tend to think about it in two categories, don't we? We, we think about it in terms of like really little things. So has anyone ever encountered someone who's like, yo, man, pray for me. I'm just going through some spiritual warfare right now. Anyone ever encounter someone? And I'm, hey, I'm not judging. Like, that's real. It's real. But sometimes you got to ask the question, oh, like, what's happening? What's going on, man? And like, dude, on the way to church this morning, my wife and I got in an argument. And we ran over a nail, flat tire. And our Christian fish fell off of the car that we were driving. The decal fell off when we got the flat tire. How are people supposed to know we believe in Jesus now? Pray for me, man. I'm under attack. It's like, dude, have you ever thought that maybe the nail was just a nail and your argument with your wife was maybe due to like your pride or arrogance or just you were in a bad mood? Like, I'm not sure. I mean, no, I mean it's not a yeesh. I'm just, I'm like, I'm not sure 
that there's like some demon pulling the strings of like, yo, I'm gonna, you know how I'm gonna get this dude? Get his decal to fall off. <laughs> so sometimes we make these little things like, dude, pray, I'm, I'm under attack, man. Okay, like, I'll pray for you, dude. I'll pray for you for more than one reason, but I will pray for you, bro. <laughs> or we make them these really, really big things, right? Like we see like natural disasters happening in the world. And we're like, oh, see, Satan's at work. Satan's at work. Or we watch some like movie, like we go and see some weird movie, and then we come home and like, oh, see, people are getting demon-possessed left and right. It's happening. It's going down. Like we need exorcisms going on. Like we, we, we kind of make it this huge, like he's doing all these crazy things, these super powerful things. And not to mitigate either, either or the or, because demon possessions do exist. The, the book of Ephesians calls Satan the prince of the power of the air, maybe alluding to the fact that he does have some control over our earth or, or weather or something like that. Um, and then the little things, they, they're real, man. They happen. So I'm, I'm not trying to dismiss these things, but I'm just saying when we think about spiritual warfare, we categorize them in these, in these categories, like big and, and, and big and little, like, man, I'm under attack. Look at what Satan's doing around the world. Like everything's falling apart. And we've had, unfortunately, Christian leaders throughout history kind of prescribe Satan as the author of some of these tragedies as well, which kind of just continues that narrative and confuses people. But if Satan is real, that's Jesus' first point, if Satan is real and his agenda is to destroy and disturb and, and cause chaos and mayhem and murder, then his strategy to do that is lying. Satan is the author of lies. He's the father of lies. He doesn't know truth. He doesn't stand in the truth, Jesus says. Jesus doesn't describe in his most uh, vivid description of Satan and his work in this world, there's no mention of demon possessions, Although those happen, we see them throughout the New Testament. There's no mention of like natural disasters and giving credit to Satan. Although maybe that could happen. There, there's no mention of, of like crazy, weird, you saw it in a Hollywood movie and it's coming to life. Like there's nothing like that in this passage. What does Jesus talk about primarily? He's a liar. Like it's just not how we tend to think about spiritual warfare. Oh, he's a liar? That's, that's it? Which means... That every other uh, agenda or every other strategy, be it demon possession or, or destruction or uh, the little things or the big things, all of those come in second place, third place, fourth place, fifth place compared to lying. Lying is his number one strategy of how he goes about his agenda of creating chaos and destruction and leading people away from God. It's deceit more than anything else. Does that surprise you? Because that's just not how we tend to think about spiritual warfare. But what it does mean is that he has invaded every system of the world we live in and has trickled deceit into that world. Whether it's um, art or entertainment or government or education, love, family, even the church, because Jesus is talking to religious leaders right here. They're not immune either. Any system of this world has been affected by the ruler of this world through deceit. And therefore, we are living in some sort of fabricated reality, and all the while, deceit is right under our nose. And for most of us, we have no idea how to put on the glasses and see the world behind the world and the message behind the messages. We're not in tune to the deceit or the lies. We can't read the billboards. We, we can't look at, at, 
at, at what's actually going on. For most of us, we're pretty content with the life we lead. We're striving for comfort. We're striving for our American dream. And we're not too disturbed with the world behind the world. Because we're good, right? Like, we love Jesus. We know Jesus and that stuff. I don't know, man. It just seems kind of weird to me. The primary way which Satan creates destruction is through lying. Which means that for Jesus, spiritual warfare looks like this. You are fighting to believe truth over lies. That's what spiritual warfare looks like according to Jesus. You are fighting to believe truth over lies. And this is nothing new. Like this is the garden strategy. Go back to the garden of Eden. God has created heaven and earth heaven on earth together. There's perfect harmony in our relationship with God, in our relationship with ourselves, in our relationship with each other, in our relationship with creation. There's perfect harmony. What does Satan do? He comes along and disrupts that harmony. Does he bring a weapon to Eve? No. He brings a lie. In fact, he brings three lies. This is what Satan says to Eve. Did God say, did God really say not to eat of that tree? So he gets us to question God's word. And then he said, God won't really punish you like he said he would. So he gets us to question God's authority. And then Satan says, the only reason he doesn't want you to eat that fruit is because he knows you'll be like him. And he gets us to question God's supremacy. He makes us think that we can be like him and we don't need him. He did not come at Eve with a weapon. He came at Eve with lies. The primary way, hear me, the primary way that Satan is operating in this world is through lies. They trickle through our culture. They, th they trickle through our government and politics. They trickle through our schools and education. They trickle through our families. They trickle through us. And I know, man, like this is starting to sound like a very Southern Baptist, like, therefore, all music that's not Christian music is evil. Like, I'm not, I'm not there, man. Like, all right. <laughs> I'm not going there, but what I'm saying is we have to understand how he's operating. We tend to think about spiritual warfare as like these huge things or these tiny things. The primary way that he goes about his agenda of destruction is lying and convincing others that the lie is real. It's the garden strategy. What does this look like on an everyday basis? Internal and external. Think about your internal thought life. Think about what you believe about yourself. When the liar comes into your ear and begins to whisper, you're not lovable, you're not cool, you'll never fit in, all you have is shame, you gotta wear a mask, you'll never be known, you have no dignity, you have no value, you have no worth, you're never gonna look like them, you're never gonna have that life, you're not gonna succeed, you're gonna be a failure. When those thoughts come into your ear, when those lies come into your ear, if you give them consideration, if you allow them to carry weight, if you begin to believe those lies, then our internal thought life, we become that which we believe about ourselves. And pretty soon we look in the mirror and you know what we think? You're not beautiful. You're not lovable. You're not cool. You're not worth anything. Parents don't love you. You got no hope. You got no future. Because we believe the lies. This is the garden strategy playing out. 
Does God really say that about you? Does he really say that you have worth and value and dignity and beauty beyond comparison, that you're lavished with grace and adopted and redeemed and forgiven by his blood and sealed with his spirit? Come on. Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. Go read it. Apply it to yourself. Truth, truth, truth. But he wants you to question that. So our internal thought life starts to rattle around our brain. We begin to believe lies. And if you begin to uh, believe the lies long enough, uh, you start to act on them. And then when you begin to behave for long enough, they become your whole identity. It's so hard to see beyond the lies. So how does this play out on an everyday scope? Internal thoughts and then external actions. Think about it. You don't sin out of uh, obligation, do you? In other words, it's not like you got an alarm set on your phone, 7 p.m. You're like, oh man, I'm due for a lust. Let me go look at some porn right now. Like, you don't sin out of obligation. You're like, I haven't sinned in a few hours. I should probably go do one. 9.30 a.m., an alarm goes off. You know what I should do right now? Go compare myself to someone else and be bitter about it. Soar up anger in my heart. I'm, I'm due for a sin right now. You don't sin that way. You don't sin out of obligation. It's not a duty for you to sin. You sin because it's tempting. That's why it's called temptation. You sin because you want to. You sin because it feels good. You sin because there's a lie hovering somewhere in your head that says, hey, this decision, this thing I'm dangling in front of you is better than Jesus right now. Go on, act on it. It will feel good, and it may feel good for a minute. And then it comes with immense regret. How does the tactic of deceit play out on a day-to-day basis? Your internal thought life and your external actions. The temptation is to believe that what Satan is lying to you about is actually better than what Jesus has to offer. All intentional sin comes down to this. What do you believe to be true? That Jesus is better than the lie? Or that sin will be better than Jesus this time around? Every intentional sin you've ever committed, whether it's an internal lie you've believed about yourself or an external action, has come down to that idea. What is true? Is Jesus going to be better than this, or is this going to be better than Jesus? Jesus offers us an invitation to literally trade our lenses in, to to literally put on a filter by which we see the world, and we see the world behind the world, and we begin to see ourselves differently, and we begin to speak truth into ourselves, and we see how our identity is made in God and His image, and we begin to receive love and apply love and give love and dispense love and be generous and give grace and mercy and forgiveness, and it's all coming because we're receiving truth instead of lies. And all of a sudden, we begin to have victory over some of our actions. It doesn't happen overnight, but it happens over time. And we begin to see Jesus as more beautiful or, or, or more worthy than these things that we're tempted with, all because we have believed truth and we have a different lens. Jesus invites us to have a new lens, to adopt His. This is why He came as a teacher, a truth teller and not a soldier. He didn't rally soldiers. He called apprentices. He invites us to rethink or the Bible language would be repent of our current understanding and to have trust or have faith in Him leading us to eternal life forevermore. So recall that famous conversation with Jesus and Pilate. Jesus has been arrested. He's in Roman custody in the most powerful Roman in this area. His name's Pilate, is interrogating Jesus. And he says, hey, I've heard you're a king. Are you a king? And Jesus says, my kingdom's not of this world. 
He says, my, but my goal, my mission is to come and proclaim truth. And Pilate asks a question that we're still asking 2,000 years later. What is truth? You've come to proclaim truth. What is that? What is truth? Because in our culture today, truth means absolutely nothing. Everybody's truth is their truth, and everybody else's truth is their truth. And you can't say that that one's wrong because that would be offensive, and you can't claim that this is right and that's not because that would be oppressive. And so truth means nothing anymore because we've bought into this whole deceit tactic of the enemy where we say there's no truth. And I guess everything's true, which really means nothing's true. But Jesus says, no, 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 I have come to proclaim the truth. See, Pilate was interrogating Jesus because he wanted to know if he was a, a warrior. Was he about to lead a, a revolt? Jesus, going back to his teaching here in our passage, when he calls them slaves and they're like, hey, we've never been enslaved. Jesus is like, I'm talking about sin, man. You're enslaved to sin. Jesus is talking spiritual. He's not come to declare war against Rome or this world. He's come to declare war against Satan. He's come to declare war against deceit and lies. He redefines what the war is, and his weapon is not a sword but truth. So, how do we live in the truth? How do we apply this? How do we let this affect us? First thing I think Jesus wants us to do is this, that we believe in Jesus for eternal life and daily life. Sometimes it's really, really easy to believe in Jesus like, oh, I know I'm forgiven and I know when I die one day I'll go to heaven. And that's great, but that's half of the picture. What about tomorrow? What about Monday morning when you wake up? How is Jesus saving your soul and, and refining and redeeming you Monday morning? I'm not talking about when you die and where you go. I'm talking about in the in-between Jesus just, just, he didn't come just so that when you die, you go somewhere. He came to give you the best life now and to begin to live kingdom now. That's why in the Lord's Prayer, we call it, we say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are inviting God's realities of heaven to be realities on earth and for us to live into them now. We believe in Jesus for eternal life and daily life. That we call on his name every day, that we ask him to help us every day, that, that our perspective and our relationship with Jesus isn't this eternal, grandiose story, but it's an everyday, how does it affect my Monday through Sunday being, that my relationship with him is not just one hour on Sunday night, but it's every day. We believe in him to echo his words in here. We believe in the truth of Jesus as the Jews did in the passage prior. And next, and lastly, how do we live in the truth? We believe in Jesus for eternal life and daily life, and then we remain in Jesus' teaching. Look, if you abide in my word, that word abide means remain. If you remain in my word, then you're my disciples, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We remain in his teaching. And I know that sounds simple, but it's so hard. And I've had so many friends over the years and students that I've discipled over the years, and I had a conversation just last month with a student who was telling me, like, yeah, I haven't read my Bible in forever, and I really don't pray anymore, and I don't go to church anymore. Hey, but that's okay, because I still feel God, and, and I know that He loves me. And yes, He does love you. But the reality is, if we're not anchored in God's Word and Jesus' teaching, then we forget what's truth compared to the deceit. And Jesus says, remain in my truth, and the truth will set you free. This is the tether 
This is the lens by which we look at the world. These are our Duke Nukem glasses by which we see the truth of this world. It is this book, the only book which God has ever promised to inspire. And through this book, we come to know Jesus deeper and he us. And through the presence of the Spirit, we abide and remain in his word and teachings. And we call on him not only for eternal life, but daily life. That is how the new lens gets created in our life. We remain in his teaching, and his teaching set us free. Free from what? From the lies of this world. From the ruler of this world, whose agenda is to destroy, and his strategy is to lie. Spiritual warfare looks like believing truth over the lies. How do we believe truth? We get into the truth. Let's pray. Jesus interesting teaching on Satan and spiritual warfare. But we thank you for it. And we see in our own culture, uh, in our own generation, this movement away from truth. Even the claim that there is such a thing as truth seems offensive to so many, so we, we don't buy into it. We, we, we let the deceit trickle, and, and we allow ourselves to kind of see the face value stuff instead of seeing through the lens of your truth and seeing the world behind the world and what the enemy is up to. Jesus, take the blindfolds off. Let us see. Help us to see truth, to live by truth. Help us to walk in victory and to choose you in the daily life and to remain in your teaching. Jesus, we ask these things in your name, which is so, so sweet and powerful. Amen.